one person's journey could leave many footprints. Welcome back to Crime Over Cocktails. I am Tiffany, your host, and today I have guest Lynn Barrett. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I find this very interesting. Thank you, Tiffany. I'm really happy to be here. So, and you are a trauma survivor. That is very true, yes. So, in 1992, when I would have been about 45, Actually, I can't do the math, but I think that's about right. I uh, was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, or what was known then as MPD. And then several years later, that diagnosis was changed uh, to dissociative identity disorder, or DID. So I had, I had, I have multiple parts and did not know it. Uh, and they were formed when I was a very small child. And so the way we understand dissociative uh, identity disorder, it begins with the the concept of dissociation. And I'll tell you a little bit about that first, and then tell you more about um, the disorder itself. But uh, dissociation is actually a very normal function of the body-mind it and it sort of it it means that the body and the mind temporarily separate and we all do it so when boredom is one of the um prompts for dissociation so i like to use the example of sitting in a lecture hall listening to your professor drone on and on and on uh but you're by the window and you look out the window and there's kids playing soccer and man, you're out there with the kids playing soccer and you have left that professor uh, back in the lecture hall uh, because your your mind separates from your body and goes there with those kids just for a few minutes and then comes back again. And you're really just sitting there. Uh, but we do that. That's 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 a I do that basic a lot. <laughs> form of dissociation. Yeah. Another um, uh, reason for dissociation could be uh, protection. So boredom is one, protection is another. And and so we are starting to raise the stakes of the game. And if people, uh, a soldier on the battlefield may dissociate the horrors that he's witnessing or participating in. A woman who is being raped may dissociate what's being done to her so she can uh, manage the horror better. So when we dissociate, it it limits the impact of what's happening on us. But then we go back into the real world and we carry that dissociation with us. So people who have PTSD, soldiers and rape victims and other victims of violence have PTSD. Dissociation is often a key uh, symptom of uh, PTSD. Now, when we elevate it even higher, maybe that's not quite the right word for it, but but the stakes get even higher, is when the uh, the trauma that someone is experiencing is, uh, first of all, chronic. It happens over and over again. And secondly, it is happening to a small child. When, when those two factors ha- uh, are, are both present, then uh, there's the possibility that the, the child will protect themselves uh, by um, dissociating from what's happening. And then because the child's mind is not fully formed, it that awareness, that memory gets locked into one part of the child's mind and not another part of the child's mind. So that means some of the child may be aware of abuse or trauma that's happening, and some of the child may not be aware of it. This is actually a very functional thing for the child because often uh, the perpetrator of the trauma may be someone in the child's um, uh, circle of um, people that they rely on. So children are pretty dependent. We can't take care of ourselves. We have to rely on the grown-ups around us. So if one of the grown-ups around us 
is traumatizing us, then it's functional for us, for a part of us not to know that's happening. So the rest of us can go back out there and um, and trust that person because we need that person for food and for clothing and for shelter um, and 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 for tr- protection from other things, if not for the uh, events that they're perpetrating. So, um, so so this is what happens, and and the, um, the the memories may go into many many different parts, or they may just go into two or three different parts. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Uh, for the American Psychiatric um, Association, uh, requires that there be at least two or more fully formed parts. Um, and there are people who have upwards of 100 parts or more, uh, and then everything in between. In my particular case, I probably had um, uh, somewhere around 25 parts. Um, people uh, with uh, DID call their parts different things. So I I, I'm calling them parts right now. Sometimes I might call them alters. I might call them insiders. Um, some people call them heads, head, headmates. Some people call them persons. It's another person inside of me. So, um, uh, you might, you might hear someone speaking of any of those, um, particular designations for, for the different parts of us. So I was reading the book a little bit and I only got like about halfway through, but I'm going to finish it. I love it. It's such a good book. Very well written. Well, thank you. (laughs) It was um, my first attempt at um, writing this kind of writing. I'm happy to hear when people tell me that it's really interesting to them and readable and something that uh, that they really want they want to go back to it's a, it's a page turner i think some people have called it no absolutely especially like when you're talking about the thoughts in your head it sounds like me it's you can <laughs> actually like see yourself doing these things yes and it almost brings you together and that's what's so cool about it if i read it correctly you didn't notice until you were 35 yeah, I well, I think that I can actually identify times when I was younger when uh, my system was uh, leaking, so to speak. But of course, at those times, I had no idea what was happening. I would say that be, that that around thirty five is when I really started to decompensate, and that's the psychological term that uh, describes what happens when we start to lose all of our coping mechanisms. And at the time, uh, I was a a mother of four children, a wife. I thought I was in a really happy marriage. And uh, I actually had just started to do uh, a little bit of uh, teaching in preschool. So at that time, I thought I had the perfect life. And that perfect life started very slowly but surely uh, having holes punched in it. And I didn't know what was happening. Um, but yes, that started around the age of 35. Wow. Yeah, I read the part about your husband. Oh, I could. What made you out of the blue just ask that question? Was it like an intuition? Well, the question that I asked my husband um was have you ever had an affair and um i had never consciously imagined that he would have an affair so i asked myself the same question that you're asking me is why in the world would i ask that question yet uh i didn't know that answer i can only say now that i had many different parts of myself that were not aware of the other parts and one part um really thought yeah ask that question boom pushed it out you know um i asked my question if 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 he was had ever had an affair and he said yes and i said how long and he said uh i said when he said now and i said how long and he said two years and it was like boom okay you know that that just sort of shocked me um, out of depression, pushed me along the road of trying to uncover and discover 
what else was going on. Now, what I would like to explain very carefully is that my husband's affair and the uh, really ugly divorce that we had was was traumatic in its own right, but it did not cause the trauma that I had experienced as a small child. Um, it, it what it did was it that trauma opened up the other trauma and um, and enabled me to discover what had happened back then. So I don't want to blame my ex husband and his philandering on on what had happened to me. Uh, it certainly didn't help me in my in my own uh, healing journey. Um, but uh, that was not the cause of it. But it certainly did open me up to um, uh, discovering uh, the crazy things that uh, had been going on in my life when I was a small child. Right. I think part of it might have to do because you said you thought you were dating somebody completely different from your father. But in reality, he really wasn't that different. Well, the, the people come in all, they, they come disguised in all kinds of ways. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you may have uh, a, a um, my father and my ex-husband became best of friends. Ex-husband um, inherited a large part of the estate that I should have inherited. When I say large part of the estate, my, my father was not wealthy, but he did have a good deal of assets when he died. So I I was disowned. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was very ugly. When I first started reading the book, Sybil popped into my head and I was like, oh, okay. Like I totally get this. Yeah. Sybil is one of the first um, uh, stories of DID that uh, came to light. Before that were the three faces of Eve. Um, and uh, there's quite, there's a number of, of books out there now by, um, uh, either by or about people um, with that disorder. Uh, there's been some um, controversy about Sybil because it was written by a journalist, um, and there's been criticism of the, the psychiatrist uh, uh, that Sybil had uh, was too involved, and you know that it, it, there some of this may not be true, and it's been, been debunked and all that. And for whatever reason, um, there seems to be an ongoing desire to debunk um, DID. And uh, I have no idea whether the Sybil story is true or not. However, when I read it, it resonated with me. I, it really made sense to me. It touched on um, tuning forks inside of me that said, yep, 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 I, I get that. I understand that. Um, but that's her story. It's not mine. Uh, my story, I think, um, what makes it a little bit unique uh, among the various stories or books that are put out about DID, it's a it's a happy ending story. <laughs> um, it is uh, that that I ultimately um, integrated uh, my parts, and that doesn't mean my parts are not there; they still are. Uh, but they have pretty much rele uh, relegated control or relinquished control of who I am to me um, because they decided that life would be better if we operated as one rather than many. And so I think that in and, and, and I have created a very fulfilling and happy life. I am 20 years beyond integration. I'm 75 years old. And I can do what I'm doing right now because I have nothing to risk because I'm retired. Uh, most people with DID would not do that, quite understandably, because there is still so much stigma um, around the disorder and um, people can lose jobs and they can lose friends by disclosing. So I have taken my position as a retired woman <laughs> who doesn't have to worry about that anymore and uh and come out of the closet um, for my sake, in a sense, because it, it it enables me to fully be who I am. But it, it's also for others because I, I because I, because others can't speak, and so I, I am speaking for many others who have DID but can't come out of the closet uh, for that reason. That's not to suggest that how DID manifests in me. Uh, is uh, exactly the same as how it, it manifests in other people because that's not true. It can manifest in many different ways. 
But the fact that we all share the same diagnosis uh, is what prompts me to um, to speak uh, for for others in a general sense that um, we are we 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 represent the whole segment of um, demographic um, populations. Uh, some of us are are, are very um, are average kind of folks. Some of us are on. Some of us are brilliant, and yet because of of, of the difficulties of this disorder, we may be on public assistance. Um, we have people who are very creative. Um, I lead writers' workshops for people with DID. Uh, we have musicians, writers, artists. We have a psychotherapist with DID, you know. Uh, absolutely. We have people with, uh, in all kinds of trades and, um, professions who, uh, have DID. So, um, and, and of every, uh, uh, ethnicity and, and, and race and, and gender, uh, and gender identification. So, um, it's, it doesn't so much have to do with whether you're poor or you're wealthy. In fact, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Uh, it has to do with with what happened to you, and uh, and and that can happen at any that that happens behind closed doors anywhere. Yeah. Right, happens more than people think, and people don't realize that that has everlasting effects. That stays with you. Definitely, they don't realize. I, I, I think I, I wish I understood that better because abuse, child abuse, is really endemic in our country, and we don't believe it, and we don't want to believe it. But the fact that we don't believe it is it actually enables perpetrators because they know they can get away with it, uh, and that no one will um, uh, challenge them on that. So that's a whole nother, um topic really and it's not the one I normally talk about at some point if you ever want to have those conversations I recommend safe communities which uh, is an organization that helps to build communities that will um uh, th- that will prevent child abuse um so I think that's that's good to know about that no absolutely so what are some of the symptoms of DID? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I can tell you my symptoms in particular and then place it in the larger context. So you, you mentioned that it started at the age of 35 for me. And I, I want to say that from the age of 35 to 45 years old, um, that 10 year uh, period, I slowly began to decompensate to the point that I attempted suicide. And, um, and then two years later, check myself into a psychiatric ward. Uh, so I started to have sort of racing thoughts, um, diff- different streams of thinking going on at the same time. I had intense body pain everywhere and sometimes someplace in specific, but um, often just everywhere. And I would jump into bed or I'd roll into bed into a fetal position because I could barely move. Uh, I didn't feel like I was me. I often felt uh, like I had left my body and was perched up in the corner of the room looking down on myself. Mm. Um, and so I I didn't identify with me. There were parts of that the, the person I thought I was some of that disappeared. Like I didn't know how to do things that I used to know how to do. And, uh, uh, and it was, it's very, very disorienting. And because of that, my home life was deteriorating and I had uh, four children. Um, in the book, I only have three because I was changing things to protect privacy. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I lost my ability to be a good mother. I didn't, remember how to do that and um so it was just ter- that that created of course um ruptures in attachment my my bonding and my attachment with my kids oh, and, for sure. you know, yeah and and so it it, it was it, very uh, confusing for me i did not understand what was happening i began to 
have suicidal ideation all the time. I felt like the world would be a better place if I didn't live in it. And I didn't think I could really even manage for one more day. Um, I had, so amnesia is one of the, the, the required elements of, um, dissociative identity disorder. And that can present itself in a variety of ways. Like you can actually lose time and not remember, um, what happened yesterday. You know, uh, you, you don't even, the last thing you remember happened a week ago. Uh, my amnesia wasn't really quite like that. It, it, my, my amnesia was uh, having amnesia for large segments of time. So I couldn't remember anything that happened to me in my childhood, you know. And then and then I also had amnesia between my parts. So I didn't know, you know, one part didn't know that another exists, didn't know that another exists, didn't know that another exists. So I kind of thought I was one person, but I wasn't. I was all these other people too. So that's the the, the general landscape of DID. There's many other kinds of symptoms, I'm sure that many people have. Um, so 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 we might present as having depression. We might present as having anxiety. But when you one what I discovered is that antidepressants didn't work. And when I finally found a therapist who really understood what was happening to me, she said, this isn't depression, Lynn. You know, this is something, this, this is another part of you who's, uh, creating this feeling inside of you. And so, um, there again, when I found the, uh, the therapist who knew how to, uh, work with these kinds of situations, uh, I began to make really, uh, good progress. I mean, not, not fast progress, but it was, I, I finally did, I was able to start to understand what was happening to me. So when you have, you know, when you have different parts come up and say these crazy things to you, it's like, who the heck am I? You know, I mean, and, and, and you start to think you're crazy. And that's why I called my, the book that the memoir that I've written is called crazy reclaiming life from the shadow of traumatic memory. I, I want to say this, not just for myself, but for other people with DID is that, even though I entitled the book crazy, I was not crazy and you are not crazy either. Um, what we are is that we often feel crazy because of the crazy things that were done to us. And uh, that that's why I also said I reclaimed life from this traumatic memory that was just following me around. Let me talk to you about traumatic memory a little bit because that's... So we all know that memory is um, unreliable for all of us. Uh, certainly for a three-year-old, uh, she's going to have unreliable memory, right? So nobody nobody uh, disagrees or doubts with that. But there's been a huge amount of research on trauma uh, in the past um, 30 years. And uh, what we have discovered is that traumatic memory doesn't reside in the front brain where most of our normal narrative memory goes. Traumatic memory goes into the body and the body stores it. You may have uh, heart palpitations. You may have uh, nausea. You may have body memory or bodily memory that, 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 that makes you uh, unable to walk or move. There are a whole variety of body symptoms that are the are, are where the, the the event that happened went uh rather than going into your narrative brain it went into your back brain uh which sends it back out into the body for storing uh and if people are interested in learning more about that uh the book that i recommend is uh, the Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, who a psychiatrist at um, Harvard University and Trauma Center. And uh, he really has become the um, expert in that field. But uh, he's trained many other people who have gone on and done research uh, on their own. And so it's uh, it, it's very it's very interesting because then so we may have. So we, what we get is we get snippets of narrative memory. We get little fragments of narrative memory, but we get whole bodies full 
of uh, this um, uh, traumatic memory, which is not the kind of memory that you can take into the courtroom. Um, it's not the kind of memory you can take to the bank, but it is the kind of memory that you can work with and heal from um, and find a new life on the other side of it. I don't remember half of my childhood. And my mom gets so like offended by that, but I'm like, I'm sorry. Like if she didn't have certain photos of me doing certain things, I tell you, I didn't do. Sure, sure. And it's not a lot of that is normal because we can only remember so much. But for those of us who who have been uh, traumatized, and I don't know if you were or not, you know, uh, that can take on a much larger, you know, space of our memory. The, I, when I went through this 10 years of decompensation, that was, you're probably too young to even know about these things, but a Polaroid cam- cameras were all the rage. And Polaroid. Uh, so <laughs> Pardon me? know a polaroid <laughs> oh cool okay so so polaroid so i, I had a pol- i was poor but i saved my money to get a polaroid camera so i could take pictures and i have all these little albums of things that happened to me m- mostly good things actually because i was trying to like get myself together then but so because i knew i couldn't remember anything before then and, and so i wanted to start remembering my life so I would take pictures of things and make little albums. And when you have Polaroids and you can put, you know, you can put a little, um, take a little big marker and uh, label it and uh, put it in your, your um, uh, album. So it helped me to remember what was happening in my life because I couldn't remember anything before that. I mean, I, I bet it was useful. And then you have all these memories for later on. I, yeah, I do. I, that that has really helped me so, uh, so much, you know, to be able to, well, it helps anybody. We all need a narrative. We all need to uh, ha- have a story. We we want to know our story. And uh, when we have these huge gaps, it is very disorienting and it can be, it can lead to despair. So people, it, it, you know, I, I'm really uh, um, very fortunate. I worked really hard. I had a um, a wonderful therapist who worked with me. And we can talk a little bit about treatment if you want to in a minute. Um, but I actually, it, it, you know, so so people, and, and I'm, a, I'm a, school, a retired school teacher, retired pastor, a retired school teacher, retired uh, uh, principal and retired pastor. So I've had three different careers sort of in my life. And, and people can listen to me and think, oh, well, that's not so difficult. You know, she's really doing great. And and I want to say on the one hand, absolutely, you know, to hold that hope out for others who are suffering from DID. But I also want to say I couldn't, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you the pain that we experience. It is overwhelming. Um, it is constant, constant pain. Um, and voices in our heads telling us that we are unworthy, that we're wimps, uh, that we need to die, you know, and life is so hard. We may be able to manage in a, a professional place, but then we go home and we just fall apart. We can't do anything. Um, and, and so I want your listeners to have a sense of that, that even though I am articulate and doing really well now, that it wasn't always that way and uh, that people with DID are really suffering uh, until they're, they're in therapy uh, that, that's appropriate for them and can begin to do the hard work that they need to do. That's a long journey. If you have to refine yourself, that's because you've really got to get down to the depths. You're not going to get anywhere better until you face it all. That's right. And that's you right. got to, do that in small increments to <laughs> take it all in. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. What kind of treatments are there? Uh, yeah, I, I'll talk about that a little bit. So I, I, I'm not an expert on treatments, uh, but I can give some generalizations um, that, uh, first of all, there are no, there's no magic bullet, bullet medication. Uh, that there is no medication for DID. However, some people with DID may take an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety pill. And, and that's, you know, that's fine. But that, that, that's to address specific symptoms. There's nothing to address 
um, the symptoms that we experience with DID. In fact, uh, there are uneducated professionals who have uh, at times medicated people with DID in order to quiet their parts, which is a terrible thing to do uh, and does not lead towards healing at all. Um, It's depressing. And it, well, it is depressing, but when, when, when a professional doesn't know what this means, you know, they, they want to alleviate suffering. So they think if we quiet this person, this part, uh, it'll be better. And um, it's uh, maybe well-meaning stupidity, you know, but the main form of therapeutic treatment is talk therapy uh, with a therapist who has some knowledge of or experience with dissociative disorders and trauma. Um, just because they say they're trauma-informed does not mean they uh, have worked with people with dissociative disorders. And so what the, the and the main uh, for me personally and from what I understand for most people with DID, the main part of therapy uh, is um, is getting to know your parts. And, and then helping your parts to get to know each other. And, um, and then, uh, eventually the more parts that you have contact with and that have contact with each other, then your amnesic uh, walls begin to lower. And then everybody begins to know what everybody else knows so that you become a whole person with parts, you know, who, uh, you all, you all know one another. I just want to say that my my own therapist, what she uh, would do uh, when a new part would come out in the therapy room, every single time she would say, welcome, I'm so glad you're here and I hope you come back again. And that was regardless of the character or trait of the part. So some of my parts were really angry and filled with rage and that did not frighten her. She just, she eventually would explain to them that they were hurt children. And then it was, that was like, she would, she would, she would take all the air out of their, their anger, you know, like they're a balloon and she sticks a pin in it, you know, to tell us that we were hurt children. It's like, you know, they'd realize they are, you know, I am a hurt child, even though I'm a, uh, right now I'm a teenager, you know, or right now I'm an adult and I'm really angry and I'm ready to, you know, scream and yell and rage. Uh, you know, we're, we're all hurt children and uh, our parts protected us. They saved our lives, even when they may have some challenging personality traits. And some of them certainly do. But what we ended up, uh, what we end up doing as, um, as people with DID is we end up parenting our parts. They weren't parented the way they should have been as children. So then we, so I'm the adult and I now can keep these little parts safe, uh, even, even when they are miserable and mean. And then I also teach them how to not, not be miserable and mean. I mean, you, you, that, that takes a long time. You, you, I get, I'm not even sure how you teach them that, but you just love them, right? <laughs> uh, you love them regardless. So, um, it's a long, it takes a long, long time, but that is basically the, 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 um, the therapy that most people with DID engage in effectively. Uh, there are some other, um, very specific modalities that might be helpful. So for instance, um, EMDR is, uh, uh, I've never had EMDR, uh, but I know people who have really raved about it and I know someone who has a dissociative disorder, but not DID. And she finds it really, really helpful. And um, I, I have heard that for D, for people with DID, that's it, there may be some challenges with it, but it's certainly something to look into. Um, and uh, the other is um, family system. Oh, wait a minute. What's it called? It's, it's a, it's um, inner parts therapy. And I can't remember the name of it. But um, it, it's a th- it, you don't have to have DID for it, but there's a whole system for how you look at yourself as being someone with parts. The only issue with that for DID is that we already have the parts. <laughs> we don't have to, like, you know, sort of start from scratch with that. And, but I do understand that some, pe- some therapists 
who have had experience with the idea have been able to use it very well. So, I mean, you know, there are, and there's probably other things that I don't know about, um, but the, the bedrock bottom line for therapy for um, people with DID is talk therapy with, with, with a therapist who's willing to work with your parts uh, to discover your story uh, and, and to help you um, through um, out your recovery. Now, I would also say that that therapist, not only does that therapist work with parts, but also, um, you know, we, we are people who have issues with attachment uh, issues with relationships, with trust. So there's always a lot of work uh, to be done in the area of trust. And, um, and I think there's also a lot of work to be done in the area of grieving because the, the, the fantasy life that we thought we had didn't exist. And so we have to grieve that, uh, loss, uh, so that we can go on and receive the, the new life that we create for ourselves. So I think those are some of some of the main components of, of therapeutic work. And and I have already described to you that I um, ha- am integrated and um, and what that means, or at least how I understand that to mean. Uh, there are some folks with DID who uh, do all the other work that you work on with, uh, you know, uh, childhood abuse and uh, relationship issues and so on and so forth. But they, ch- and, and, and they do the, all the parts work too. But as parts, they choose to stay separate instead of integrated. So, um, that's a valid choice too. That we call that functional multiplicity. Uh, that's not what I uh, chose, but, um, but others may choose that. But you still wouldn't have that memory then, right? No, you, you would. Functional multiplicity me would mean, that you um, that your parts have shared all of the, that the amnesic barriers have come down, and the parts have um, shared with you and each other, you know what their story is, what happened to them. So so they they all know about each other, but rather than relinquishing their personhood inside of you, uh, they hold on to it. And um, some people say they would be lonely if their parts left. And, you know, so I don't experience it that way. And I can't really speak for it or against it. I just know that if that you can get to a point where you are you you are functional, you can uh, live a, a good life, but you uh, allow your parts to continue to or, or your I don't know if allow is the right word, but your parts decide to become a, uh, to, to remain separate from one another. So you'll have to invite somebody else on, uh, to your podcast to talk about that. Cause I really can't give anything, uh, specific. I, I operate as one person as often as I can, which is most of the time. Yeah. It's a lot easier that way. <laughs> I find that to be true. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. who names the parts is that something you come up with or do they tell you what their name is how does that come about well i think that's a good question um because i've actually heard seen people on chat or did chat groups ask the same question and so in my case i don't know they they came up with them themselves you know i didn't name them um but i think other people do name their parts because sometimes their parts come to them without names so I think that that's um, probably individual, but my my parts had names when they came forward. So I see. Did you have any hidden talent that you didn't know that you had when <laughs> part? Well, probably not. I wish I was a musician. I'm not. I wish I was an artist. I'm not. Uh, <clears throat> I am a writer, but I'm not sure that was hidden. Um, I think that that was pretty well integrated into my uh, system, you know, my total self, and it has grown and developed over the years. So, but I will say that parts can have different roles and functions. And so sometimes our, our parts hold emotions, and sometimes they hold skills, and sometimes they hold talents. And, and, and so, you 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 use the word hidden, so I I can't affirm that in me. But I I certainly my parts certainly did have different 
roles and functions and talents. And, you know, I have at least, um, uh, um, well, I have several protector parts whose roles are to protect me. I have, um, I had a part, uh, I have a part who held the shame. And uh, that was a huge uh, load to bear alone. And um, I had uh, twins, uh, a male and a female teenagers, uh, one who held the sexuality and one who held the anger. The, The boy held the anger and the girl held the sexuality. And the sexuality, actually, I really had lost, you know, until she came back out again. I was like, woo, okay. Yeah, where have you been? <laughs> um, and um, I, I, so I, I had a part, I had a part who mothered my children. And then she disappeared because danger uh, was happening in our family. And so that I've already alluded to that. And that made it very difficult in my parenting. I had a part who um, was the consummate professional and she was able to administrate you know she was able to uh, juggle many pieces at a time I had a part who uh, had several small small children but in 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 the early uh, work that I did Rosie was a three-year-old child who was in the center of my system and uh, and then nanny um, held Nan- Rosie's abuse so Rosie could go back and trust again. Uh, and so Nanny was withered and, and exhausted and miserable. I had, well, you know, I, I, I should keep a, a list right in front of me, but I don't. Uh, but there, I had many different parts for many different, um, functions or, or talents. And, and they were all very separate, you know, for a long time, but then they all came together. And they didn't, that just didn't disappear. That's all a part of me. So I, I still, I've, I've taught Mike, um, my angry part, how to manage his rage. And he actually has been very instrumental in helping me heal because good anger can move you forward. So uh, I still have that good anger and I know how to do, to, to use it without hurting other people. And, um, and, 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 and his twin Sylvia held a sexuality and I, and I still, you know, have a very, um, profound, you know, sexual identity. I, I love children and that came from Laura and, um, I am a good administrator and that's Paula and so on and so forth. All of these parts are still manifest in me. They just don't exist in separate states. Gotcha. Yeah, I actually have a list of them. I was looking over it. I like the Black Knight. He chops off people's heads. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of gone underground because we don't do that anymore. <laughs> but that was a protective mechanism. Uh, you know, that if, if if he sends danger, he just like, you know, that's it. No more. Um, sorry, <laughs> the relationship's over. Um, yeah. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Would you say your journey to healing took probably at least a good 10, 15 years to be totally where you are? Or do you think it took more than that or it was less than that? Well, so I call it my uh, a twenty year journey, but I think it's really a lifelong journey because even now I do work, uh, you know. So I I was decompensating for ten years, and I and and I integrated after ten years of deep work. Uh, many people have to do deep work a lot for a lot longer than that before they integrate. So I, I really hate to uh, hold that out as a um, goal for people because everybody's system is going to work differently on this. So, so that would have been from, so I'm 75 years old now, and that would have been from 35 to 55. But I, to be frank, that the, so, so from 55 to 75, which I'm now, it's 20 years I've learned how to, is when I've learned how to live my life, uh, and, uh, created a really fine life for myself. But, but that has not been without challenges and not been without work uh, because I think we're healing until we die. In publishing my memoir, the writing of my memoir was not triggering for me at all. 
it, I was I was a good 20 years away from all that and, and it gave me the distance I needed. But the publication of it did uh, because it created some really difficult waves in my family that I had not anticipated and absolutely did not want and it tore me apart. So that so so I published at the beginning of this year. And so I've actually been here here's the one upside of the pandemic is we've had we have telehealth now, right? And so my um uh my therapist from years of old and I have been working can uh this year and I haven't worked with her in you know decades. Um but we've been working this year quite regularly because my system part of my system came apart again and I met some new alters. So I thought I was um all done and all integrated. And and the reality was that I wasn't um, because what had happened in my family uh, began to mimic um, what had happened as a child. And so all that opened up again. And, but I'm, 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 I'd like to say that I'm back on an even keel. I hope I am. Um, But I know what to do if I don't, if I'm not, you know, Um, I just have to live longer than my therapist. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I really I, I've actually gone decades without regular therapy. I mean, I, I've, I've had different therapists to touch base with on certain things. And uh, and that's been great. But this year I have done regular weekly therapy with the same person. So uh, but we've we've done some really some good triage. And I think that uh, I, things are things are much more stable now. So. Well, that's good. I'm sorry about the issues that it arose, but you had to let your truth out. And that's, you shouldn't be ashamed for that. So. Right. Well, and I'm not ashamed. Uh, (laughs) I'm not ashamed, but it's dealing with the, you know, uh, uh, the people we love, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, healing is a life life journey. There's no quick fix. There's no abracadabra. It doesn't matter what you're trying to heal from all of it. It's, it's a lifetime. It could be addiction. It could be anything, everything that you have to work on yourself. It's lifelong, but it's so worth it. Yes, it is so worth it. And so if you'd like me to, I can just tell you a little bit about what I'm doing now that is, might be interesting or of help to your listeners. Absolutely. Um, uh, I have a web. I have two websites actually. I have one website which is www.lynnbarrett.com, and uh, that's Lynn L Y N Barrett B A R R E T T dot com. On that, there's like there's quite a bit on that, but uh, the, my my weekly uh, blog is is there published there. And people can sign up for a week, the weekly newsletter if they'd like it. Uh, I have a uh, a free ebook that people can download uh, called DID Unpacked. Uh, and there's a little bit of my story, you know, my resume, so to speak. Uh, you know, people can find out more about me uh, on that. And we, I have a little video um, that uh, was made uh, to uh, promote the memoir. And then um, I also have a website called www.dissociativewriters.com. And I founded a group um, for people who um, have dissociative disorders who write or who want to write. And so we offer um, writers workshops every week. So there's one a week and um we also have one social hangout a month so people can get to know each other better. Um, and we also publish an annual um, anthology of writer writing from writers, uh, dissociative writers. And uh, we have spoken at conferences. And so people who have an interest in writing and uh, believe they have a dissociative disorder might want to take a look at um, that website to see what it's all about. And um, we would be happy to have you join us if you have an interest in that. We found that our writers' workshops are very, very powerful for people. They are not therapy groups. Uh, And yet there is healing that happens because for the first time, you actually can have a community of people that understand uh, what your 
story is and people who you can trust and start to bond with. And at the same time, you are developing your writing and your writing skills. So people uh, can write poetry, they write prose. Um, Most of them are writing from um, their uh, backgrounds and experiences, which is really a memoir type of um, writing. But uh, we have had people who've brought in some fiction too, so um, that's also fine. So I encourage people to check out both of those websites and uh, see what's out there um, that might be supportive to you. Absolutely. To feel like people understand you, that is so important. And everybody needs to feel like they belong somewhere. Yes. Where can they find a copy of Crazy if somebody would like to buy the book? Absolutely. They can find it uh, on really any online bookstore. Um, the most, the best sales are on amazon.com. So I, if that's important to you, uh, go to Amazon, but um, Barnes and Noble carries it. And I don't even know the names of all the others, but they all carry it. Um, so that would be the place to get it, uh, would be your, your favorite online bookstore. Or uh, you, you can go to my website and um, that will take you directly to the Amazon. There's a place where you can click for the book and uh, it'll take you to the Amazon site. Great. And I will actually add that into the bottom of my description. So anyone who is interested can just click on that link and then we'll find your book. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much for joining me and I hope you have a great night. I thank you very much. And I hope you have a great night too. And same to all of your um, listeners. Check the links in the description. If you are interested, you will also find my links down there and they're on the bottom of every episode. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Come find me on Instagram. And I just want to say thank you. I've had such a great outpouring from my video. That was scary as shit. And <laughs> I just want to say thank you to all the people who actually really appreciated it. So that meant a lot to me. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.